Las Vegas, famous, fabulous playground of the West. A wide open town that never goes to sleep. Vegas! Vegas, baby, Vegas! You're either in or you're out. Right now. My best mates are going to Las Vegas this weekend. I'm told it's incredible. Las Vegas, here we go! Pack your bags and get ready. You're going to Vegas with someone who knows Vegas inside and out. This is Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi, the podcast. Well, the world of music has definitely changed. It's a lot different than it was back in the 20th century. And we got a guy who was really successful back then as a musician who has made it his life's drive to help people in the what they call the entrepreneurial music business. And it's just changed so much. Martin, you've seen the evolution of music from when you first got into it. It's really changed a lot. And, and the things that were successful back in the 20th century are no longer the way you make money at this. Well, uh, I mean, that, that's true, but I think the music business is the place where everything is always changing, you know? So I think as long as people remember that it always keeps changing, they can pivot and be creative and survive. It's when people get stuck on, oh, Spotify isn't paying enough money, you know, and hoping that the they'll be able to make a difference. That's when it becomes a problem. As long as people stay creative, they can, they can create, you can create your way out of any problem. Yeah. In in your career, actually, you've been involved in so many different groups, public image limited, a killing joke. Then you founded pig face and a couple of other groups. You did some things with nine inch nails. I guess that kind of shows just even the way you handled your career was you're always trying something different, right? And you're always kind of, uh, again, letting those creative juices flow. Well, and not just not just randomly trying stuff. Like, I mean, you know, it just seemed very natural to me, having been in, a, in quite a few bands, to start my own record label. Because I watched. Um, it wasn't that I thought I could do an amazing job with a record label. But I knew for a fact... I couldn't mess things up any worse than other supposed professionals had done so on my behalf. So then, so I start a label, and after a few years, you know, it didn't take a genius to sit there and go, hold on, all of my money seems to be going to these three recording studios in town. You know, I don't always get exactly what I'm thinking. What if I if I put some of this money into my own studio, you know, so, you know, this, it's always, um, it wasn't strategy. It was just steps. You could say, well, I started to teach and then I wrote a book and that makes perfect sense, but that wasn't my plan. Um, I was asked to teach a class and I thought it would be interesting to teach a class. But then once I was doing that, I discovered there wasn't a book about touring so I wrote one and I thought that was kind of interesting and then I started to get asked to speak all over the world and for probably four or five years or longer it was one of the main things I was doing was 
flying around the world and speaking and being that guy. Now I'm, I'm teaching at Millican University in Decatur, Illinois, and I have my label. I've got my studio. I'm, uh, I'm speaking. You know, I'm doing a bit of everything these days. Well, you're kind of driven by this. This was kind of a way to, it, it strikes me as I look at your career, where you're establishing your own independence. You, you can't really be independent if you, if you don't have control over these things. Well, uh, uh, right. And it's, but it's not, um, it's not control-freaky control. It's just you need to be able to make decisions. If you can make decisions that affect your future, I think... Once you're involved in any kind of area, you can see the the problems coming down the train track towards you sooner than an organization will tell you there are problems, if, if that makes any sense. You know, I think yeah. when you're working for a larger uh, organization, it might feel good until the moment that it doesn't. Yes. Whereas when you're working for yourself, it's more of a gradual, oh, this is changing. This is, oh, I'm not, I'm not feeling this as much. Perhaps this is where, you know, you can kind of mutate, grow, change, pivot, all of those things. Do you think a lot of musicians, are, they don't realize that the business side might not be as much fun as playing, but it's really necessary? Uh, well, I, I think that I take pride in making things happen that the numbers they shouldn't happen. You know, like my band Pig Faces, 17, 20 people on the road, you know. It doesn't make any economic sense, but there's a reason that Pig Face has been going for well, close to 30 years now, you know. M musicians who've been on the road have the ability to pivot because every day on the road, is, it's a question that has to have an answer. I, I mean, you could say the show must go on. But really, if you don't find a way to make a show work and the show doesn't happen, you're not getting paid. It's really simple. So you have to find a way to make things work. And um, that creative problem-solving part of a musician's uh, toolkit is really important. And, but I've, I've seen so many people spend years now complaining about Spotify and trying to make streaming work. And to me... All streaming is is a blank cassette tape from the seventies. We, you know, we didn't get paid when our music was copied onto a blank cassette tape, but there was certainly a huge value in peer-to-peer -peer consumer sharing of our music, which created a fan base, whatever. But you know, I think I just saw today there's only seven and a half thousand artists on Spotify who are making over $100,000 a year. Wow, that's surprising. But that goes to show, like you say, and that's where you were ahead of the game. Tour smart. Touring is just so important now. I know I was, t I was talking to Philip Bailey from Earth, Wind & Fire, and he goes, yeah, making albums and that kind of thing, that isn't how you make money at this, and you don't, you got to learn how to tour. And like what you're telling him is you got to do it the smart way. Honestly, it's... Uh, uh I wrote that book over 10 years ago, and um, I'm still learning about touring. You know, my eldest son, Ian, he's a merchandiser. He comes out on the road with us, and he told me a technique he learned from bar managing. It's called the typewriter. Like, you know the way uh, 
the typewriter goes across, the words go across the page and then come back. Mm-hmm. So he, he said, instead of focusing on one customer, you know, which you would think that's what you should do, give one customer your undivided attention, and when they're finished, you talk to the next one. But from bartending, he learned the six people in front of you, and you scan them all. Maybe one of them just wants a shirt. Somebody else wants a 10-minute conversation about the live album and is this what kind of drums does Martin <laughs> use and whatever happened in 94, blah, blah, blah. You know, so you, you make contact with the person who wants to talk for 10 minutes. He's, Excuse me, I just want to get this guy a shirt, you know. Right. And it doesn't interrupt that longer conversation, but it also doesn't keep the person who just wants a shirt waiting. So, and I, I was just blown away, like, like I need to write an addendum to some of these um, some of these parts of the book with more increased detail, and of course with um, with the way money is with touring now, and you know when, whenever we get back to touring, it's so important that your merch booth and your inventory level and your your um, range of goods at different price points. Uh, it's so important that you have that together. Yeah, and I love the way you approach it because it's sort of like owning a store, right? And your store is going to sell certain things, and you, and you want to have things. You want to make sure you have inventory, and you want to be able to service all the needs of your fan base. Yeah, and and that includes giving things away. You know, the merch booth is the new information vibe distribution point. You know, and I... I say this just to upset some people, but I would take my own merch person on the road before I would take my own sound person. If, if I had to choose, I would choose the merch person over the sound person because the local sound guy can get an all right sound, but it's the merch person who has the unique knowledge of all of this because hopefully you've got 20 T-shirts and 20 different albums on different formats. You have a huge range of products. You know, but you also need, it gets complicated geographically. So if you're playing Baltimore in January and you play DC in March, I think you need to have a different T-shirt, maybe a different live album, some different things at the booth so that people who saw you in Baltimore who come and see you again, there's something else to get them excited and, and another way for them to give you money and support you. Now, what about if you're like in Vegas, say doing some sort of a residency where you're going to be there for a few weeks or something like that? Is that a separate experience from the rest of the tour? Well, yeah. It's so if you, if you're if you have a residency in Vegas, I think the number one thing you need to be doing is if you're playing to a thousand people a night, you need eight hundred people on your mailing list. So that's Vegas is an opportunity after fourteen days to have. 10,000 people on, on your list. And then you can look at that data and go, where are all these people from? So maybe that data informs some of the routing of the next, next leg of your tour. You know, like, hey, Mr. and Mrs. Whoever, hey, this person, that person, it's been six months since we saw you in Vegas and we're, we're coming to Boston and we'd love to invite you as our special guest, blah, blah, blah. Give them the VIP Vegas treatment when you're on the road, you know, and it's tailoring every approach. 
it, it's important to maximize every single level you're performing at. Yeah. Now, you were talking about merchandising. I guess it's just as important then to have the right kind of designers and so forth because your music is one thing, but you want to have quality merchandise that people are going to want as well. Well, there's there's so many levels. But when you say design, I think most musicians think elaborate, intricate, you know, something Mm -hmm. that's obviously been designed. But another function of design is to fit a function. And one of the functions of merchandise is, yeah, you need the $100 thing, but you also need a decent t-shirt that's maybe just one color that's very cheap to produce. That's the thing you want to give to somebody who doesn't have any money. You know, yeah. oh my goodness, here's this, here's this huge Aladdin's cave of merchandise. Oh, you don't have any money? Well, thank you so much for coming anyway. Let me give you a drinks ticket. And here's a T-shirt. And that is how you build the customer for next time. You know, there's so many levels to all of this. And how about something like a way you can really kind of establish your connection with the fans? And the thing that I comes to the top of my head is like ACDC, if they've got a, a, a just a cannon in the front on the thing, you know, for those about to yeah. rock, and then that works for them. Is that an opportunity to take like, you know, to take a particular song or a particular theme and really highlight it? Well, I, I mean, it's all theater. And I think any band that's touring for a while, you know, maybe they started off, they were somewhere and there was a theatrical polystyrene cannon backstage, you know, yeah. and uh, and they wheeled it out and it was kind of funny and maybe the lighting guy put a smoke thing in the air. You know, things happen by accident and then you see the audience's response and look, hey, you know what? That was really cool. We should do that. You know, we started, uh, because I screen print, you know, I, I like to do uh, uh, art prints and, and t-shirts and scenery we started to build huge pieces of scenery where where some bands would just have their name across the back of the stage. We'll have six banners, six feet wide each, and 40 feet high. So, which, which seems crazy. It's a lot of time and money, and these days you have to have this stuff fireproofed with a fire certificate, otherwise they won't let you hang it in a venue. But once it's been hung on a tour... We cut this stuff up and sell it as memorabilia, and people frame it. So the crazy act of making new scenery for every tour actually becomes something that fuels future uh, gallery shows, art shows, and ways to, you know, not just make revenue from people buying it, but also, you know, send it to people who want a competition or as gifts, all kinds of things. Well, you, know, you said it's theater, and, and I'm thinking, again, to bring up the Las Vegas thing, there's a number of groups that go in there, old groups, you know, that do these residencies, and some are particularly successful and some are less so. And one of the big differences, probably the most successful group, is Aerosmith, and part of the reason is because they put so much into the show. So that matters, right? It's not just enough to go out and play your hits. People love your hits. That's great if you if you have a series of hits. But if you give them even more than that, that does draw people. Well, I think it's it's definitely a place where you want to, you have to over-deliver. And 
And it's also, it's this very interesting place. It's the intersection of accounting and not paying any attention to the accounting, right? So there needs to be another column on the spreadsheet for vibe, for longevity, for reputation. Because, you know, you can look at the spreadsheet. The last time we toured with Pigface, um, the last two shows, uh, Danny Carey from Tool flew out to play drums with us. We already had two drummers. I think two other people came out uh, to play drums. We had, I think we had four bass players. And, you know, an accountant might say to you, hold, uh, hold on a minute. You don't need four drummers. Well, of course you don't need four drummers. But the spectacle does. The story does. The vibe and the reputation does. So you want to surprise and delight people and excite them. You know, something we did the, we, the last time we played was at the end of 2019. We had a whole, we had a 50 date tour cancel in 20, uh, uh, last year, 2020. Yeah. But one of the things we did, uh, we wanted to honor and delight anybody who bought VIP tickets directly from us. So we had all of their information and we invited anybody who wanted to come to, to be at rehearsals. And we just thought it was, you know, it, it didn't cost us anything, you know. So, and, and people freaked out. They loved it. And so then I thought, well, what, what else could we do? We're inviting people into our home. What, we, we ordered, I think, six or seven pizzas from a, a, a pizza place here in Chicago. And I thought, well, if we're going to have pizza, we've got to have some crappy beer. You know, so <laughs> I think we've got five or six of those 30 cases of PBR, which didn't cost anything. So, so not only did we delight people by inviting them to rehearsals, they walk in, there's pizzas, we're honoring them. It's like, hey, there's a fridge full of beer, you know. And then here's, here's what's amazing. When there are 50 people standing around in your rehearsal room, everybody was twice as good at rehearsals as they normally would have been. You know, I would expect to look over and see one of the bass players, you know, on their phone eating Chinese food, kind of halfway paying attention. When there's 50 people to, to witness rehearsal, everybody was on it. So by giving, we ended up benefiting. And I will never not invite people to rehearsals again. And that is a great idea. And also, it, it makes a kinship where you, you know, I would assume if I went to something like that and I experienced that, that's my group, man. I, I mean, I'm, I'm never going to forget that, which is, right. which is great. Right. And and then and then don't forget, you know, with in the internet age, right? Normally at rehearsal, everybody's busy. That their hands are busy playing bass or drums or whatever. And people would take a picture here or a picture there. Maybe the sound man would post one photograph to Instagram. We had fifty people taking pictures all night. I mean, it, it was uh, there must have been five thousand pictures from rehearsals, which then spread the excitement of like oh my goodness what are you doing is that pig face rehearsing yeah they're going on tour oh my goodness i didn't know where can i get tickets i mean it it seemed like it was a crazy idea to do it 
And once we did it, it seems crazy not to. Now, that's terrific. And and that's kind of what you offer. I mean, this Millican University, what you're doing there, uh, it's a different way of thinking. And, and, and what's interesting I find about it is you, you found that just kind of by trying something. And look what goes up there. It's kind of constantly thinking out of the box. It's first-rate marketing, and that's what this is about. Well, I think I – think, I don't know where I first started to maybe Seth Godin, uh, maybe uh, Andy Cernowitz from Word of Mouth. Uh, he was on the Word of Mouth Marketing Council. But it's like you've got to create the story. Once you have the story, you don't need the marketing. If you don't have a story, you're going to pay so much money for for marketing. What you know, you, you, you once you have a story, it's true, it's authentic, and. Uh, you need to sometimes help the story along and spread it, but um, but I, I think I shifted my focus to creating experience and, and you know when people buy tickets direct from us, well you know I I sit here so obviously I know their address I know their shirt size because they're getting shirts and a pass and some other information and I said well. I need to put a personalized note in with in every one of these packages. And the other side of my brain, the accountancy side, the the the, the efficiency expert is going, "Oh, come on, Martin. You're going to have hand cramps if signing, you know, 450, 500 personalized letters to people. Once you start signing these and and personalizing them, then it becomes another job." to make sure that one person's personalized note doesn't go in somebody else's package because that's the opposite of, of personalization. And then I started to throw a handful of candy in with each little box. And and, and I just thought, because I, I heard of a hi-fi, uh, a musical instrument company, and they do that. So you, you read these silly stories of somebody who spent hundreds of dollars on a piece of equipment and they're, they're delighted by a handful. Started to put candy and then I second-guessed myself. I had to go to the store and get another huge tub of all of these different kinds of candy and even my wife said to me, what are you doing? You know, like, you, oh, now you need to go and spend another couple hundred dollars at the store. It, it's it's going to be a, all these bags that you have to open and mix up. And she said, like, you do this to yourself. And so I nearly didn't do it because she was right. You know, there's a lot of work and not much money, but more money than no money. But but sure enough, when people opened up their packages, they they spread everything out on the kitchen table or wherever. You know, they made sure people could see the personalized note because I'd honored them. And, you know, and most people... There would be candy. I saw a few pictures where there wasn't any candy. And I thought, oh, my goodness. <laughs> Did I forget to put the candy? And then I'd read their email and it would say, I ate all the candy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was the best part of my day. And so you start to realize if that's all it takes to make someone's day and delight them, then you, that's our job. 
you know. Yeah. I mean, that you know, it's funny about that is that's what they're going to tell their friends about first before they get into the equipment or what have you. Uh, they're going to tell them about I got candy or I got uh, a, a personal note. You know, you're going to get the tickets anyway. But this is something special. Yeah, and and I'm you know I'm sure anybody playing Vegas, ACDC, anybody, you know, they know Metallica. Those guys are all over it. They know that somebody who's a fan. Uh, uh, from 20 years ago will be a fan 10 years from now. And so that's a different way of, of looking at these relationships. And um, that's why I'm all about, uh, we do lots of events where they are pay what you can, pay what you want. Mm-hmm. And some people don't have any money to pay. They, they want to pay $100, but they, they can't pay anything. We still want those people to to show up, you know, because, you know, there hopefully will come a point where they are doing better. And and when you when you trust people to pay what they want, uh, you know, 10 people will pay nothing and and the 11th person will pay one hundred dollars. And that's that's another part of that whole situation as well. Well, I have one last question, and of course, you got to be able to pivot, like you said earlier. So, what were you telling people with the pandemic? Because all of a sudden, you can't do this stuff; you can't tour. I was, what do you do? Well, well, I was very lucky. I was working with the students down at Millican, and we do something called Midwest Music Expo. It's a kind of a student-run uh, conference, and the first one we held it on campus because there's a $25 million commons building with Starbucks in it, you know, and we're very proud of it. So here we are, uh, April of, uh, of 2020, and, and I said to them, we, ca- we can't do this thing in May. The more successful it is, the more people show up, the worse it's going to be, really, with the pandemic. And so we switched to uh, an online uh, event, and we tripled registrations and instead of having people from a 250 mile radius of Decatur that was Chicago, Nashville, St. Louis etc. We had people from 23 countries and um, Lol Tolhurst who played drums with The Cure he's a friend of mine and he lives on the west coast. He said oh I'll do an hour long session he has, a, he has a book out about his time with The Cure and uh Randy Blythe, the singer from Lamb of God, did an hour-long session with And I suddenly realized, well, the, the pandemic is terrible, but it isn't the end of the world. Mm. There, there are opportunities and silver linings. And so uh, that was a great lesson. I just started to do, I did 80 online events last year, um, all through the summer. And, and I tell people in bands, it's just a different opportunity. You, you, it's very difficult to put on a great show with a big sound system that, that moves people with a bass drum. You feel the bass drum in your chest. You know those great sound systems that they have these days. But what you can do, different from a live show, is instead of putting aside half an hour before and half an hour after the show for meeting fans, you can spend four hours online chatting with fans that, that you'd never have the time to chat with ordinarily. And so you can build this other part of your relationship with a fan. You can get to know them. Um, we, we did an event on Saturday. 
it was a, a couple's 23rd anniversary. Somebody else had just had a pipe burst, you know, just uh, so you share these moments and and then you go out and tour and you make sure you invite all of these people and spend a little bit more time with them and, and, and grow that side of your relationship with the audience. If people, Martin, want to get a hold of you, want to know more about uh, the music industries uh, thing over at Millican University, uh, just outside of Chicago, how do they do that? There's a few ways. You can follow me on Twitter. I am Martin, M-A-R-T-E-E-E-E-N, four E's. Uh, I'm on Twitter all the time. If you want my third book, Band Smart, which is 600 pages, it's like an old-style phone book, if you remember those. <laughs> um, uh, you can download that for free from martinatkins.com. Uh, I think those are two pretty good ways. I'm on Instagram. My handle is Flowers Fight for Sunshine. And I know we're supposed to have consistency across our accounts, but I just like Flowers Fight for Sunshine for my Instagram name. Well, Martin, thank you so much. We will be back. Oh, thank you. It's a really nice to talk to you. Okay, Sean, we need to talk about our training budget. We're spending almost $1,500 per employee each year. What's the plan? Well, ma'am, 42% of companies are saying that e-learning has led to an increase in revenue. What does that do about the travel expense? E-learning allows employees to learn wherever they are. Then we need to consider the time away from production. I heard that e-learning takes up to 60% less employee time than traditional classroom training. Perfect. Let's find a curriculum company, a development company, a learning management software company. Actually, Epsilon XR specializes in end-to-end learning solutions with tools such as instructor-led training, online classrooms, simulations, virtual and augmented reality, and curriculum development. Get Epsilon XR on the phone. Epsilon XR creates immersive learning environments that engage with your learner, resulting in improved information retention, which leads to better performance and ultimately an increase in revenue. Learn more at elearning.epsilonxr.com. Have your collectibles taken over your house? Well, maybe it's time for those treasures to find a new home, and I've got just the place to help you do that. The place to go is Baseball Cards and Bobbleheads, where they are always buying. Baseball Cards and Bobbleheads has over 35 years of experience buying collections of sports cards, memorabilia, bobbleheads, toys, action figures, comic books, Hot Wheels, Star Wars, movie posters, and more. If you've collected it, there's a good chance they'll buy it. No collections are too large or too small. Call Baseball Cards and Bobbleheads at 310 310- Five three four four one eight zero, or text them pictures of your collection. That number again is three one zero five three four four one eight zero. That's three one zero five three four four one eight zero. Baseball cards and bobbleheads. Three one zero five three four four one eight zero. What if every dollar you invested into your training program turned into $30 of revenue? What if your learning program was so engaging that your employees looked forward to annual trainings? And what if you could monitor the success and effectiveness of your curriculum with quantifiable metrics? Go to training.epsilonxr.com. E-learning has made each of these scenarios possible, utilizing tools such as virtual and augmented reality, simulations, and online instructor-led training provides a safe environment for employees to learn at their own pace. 
go to training.epsilonxr.com. Here at Epsilon XR, we have 50 years of experience in creating powerful and effective training programs. We combine proven training methods with cutting-edge technology to create immersive training experiences. Are you ready to take your training program to the next level? Go to training.epsilonxr.com. Training.epsilonxr.com.